as we look at the scripture passage, as we continue in Luke this morning, what we're going to find is Jesus has a plan for your life. He doesn't want you to live simply as the ordinary individual that we are. He wants to lead us into the extraordinary. So as we examine Luke chapter 6, as we continue in our series today, here's what we're going to find. Ordinary people can accomplish the extraordinary as they follow Jesus. Ordinary people can accomplish the extraordinary as they follow Jesus. It's an incredible promise. So if you have your Bibles, <laughs> I do hope you do. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat underneath you. I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to read verses 12 through 16 this morning. I also invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, simply out of reverence and the fact that God gave us his word. This instruction book on life and how we can make a difference in the life we live now, but into eternity. So Luke chapter 6, reading verses 12 through 16. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. For the very words of God, you may be seated this morning. First thing we're going to draw out of the text this morning, and before you write down your notes, I'm going to give you a little bit of help. We're not in a big section of notes today. I've encouraged people to write notes in your, in your journaling Bibles, in your margins. I'm writing it through this Bible that I'm preaching out of. Um, but what you're going to find is my points are long, so I'm going to give you a, a clue on what you can do today. The theme is the same for all three points, and it's what I just shared with you. So if you already wrote down the theme, use that as your header. It's ordinary people can accomplish the extraordinaries that follow Jesus. So leave it that way. And here's the first point, as they commit all things to prayer. So just write that. So don't rewrite that same phrase three times. Now, it would be good practice. You know, repetition's the mother of all learning. Uh, I used to coach football, and I coached linemen. And uh, I did get a request or, or a question at some point by some other teachers. They're like, how do you teach those linemen like, to do what they do? I'm like, repetition. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> So how do you learn things? You, you repeat things. So I'll just say, if you're taking notes, you're not going to fit it all in your Bible if you write everything out. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So what I would write down is just that they commit all things to prayer. You've already got the first part. Ordinary people can accomplish the extraordinary as they follow Jesus by committing all things to prayer. You know, through the first five chapters of Luke, we see that prayer was an important part of the life of Jesus. We saw this in Luke chapter 5, going back to where uh, the disciples are following Jesus Jesus heals a leprous man, and there's a transitional verse between then when he goes to Capernaum and heals the paralytic, and here's what it said. It said, Jesus, so that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So that's the pattern of Jesus. He would withdraw and pray. It was his habit to slip away and have time with the Father. And at this point, Jesus is regularly under pressure. So as we get into Luke chapter 6, as we're moving forward, what we're seeing is that he is uh, regularly under pressure from the multitudes as he goes into towns and is speaking. So he's under pressure in public spaces. So he retreats to secluded places to pray. The countryside, the wilderness, the mountain regions, they all provide the setting needed to abide in the Father. This is what he's doing. We see Jesus pray over crucial events in his ministry. As we get into the later parts of Luke, we see that before Jesus goes to the cross, 
He's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. He's toiling in prayer. And now we see him in our passage this morning. He's wrestling in prayer as he chooses the 12 people that he's going to invest in most over the next couple of years. Now, notice that Jesus spent the entire night in prayer. If he goes to the mountain before dark, around 7 or 8, and he doesn't show back up until 6, like after dawn, that's 10 plus hours in prayer. That's a prayer meeting, if I've ever heard of one. 10 plus hours in prayer. And when you look at the original wording in Greek, it speaks of Jesus toiling through the night in prayer. He was wrestling in prayer. He never went to sleep. He was praying for this entire time. But think about what he's praying for. At this point, there's some opposition to his ministry. He realizes that the cross is before him, and now he's got to select the 12 people who are going to serve as his successors. Talk about pressure. There's a good reason to pray. I'd pray 10 plus hours too if that was the decision before me. You've got to figure out who's going to follow after me, who's going to take this mission that I've begun. And as we look at these passages as we're working through, we find now that there is growing opposition to Jesus. The Pharisees, they do question him along the way. A part of that, remember that, that learning in ancient Judaism was by way of argument. So that wasn't always that they were opposing him. But now what we see, the last verse, and I didn't get into it last week because I knew I'd talk about it this week. Verse 11 from last week, here's what it said from last week. It said, but they, they being the Pharisees and the scribes, were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. So now we see it's shifting. No longer is it just that they're trying to learn from Jesus. Now they're after him. And so with this growing opposition, Jesus is realizing things are getting serious. I need to start choosing and investing in a select group of individuals who's going to take and be a part of sending this message to the ends of the earth. Things are escalating for Jesus, and he knows it. The crucifixion is, is upon him. And so now, who is he going to hand things off to? That's what he's praying about. That really is a weighty decision. You know, part of what we've been doing is we've been walking through this section on follow me is answering the question, how do we follow Jesus? And one of the priorities we must have is to follow Jesus in a prayer life. We have to commit all things to prayer. And you might not be deciding who's going to take the story of Jesus to the ends of the earth, but you make important decisions every day, every week, every month. There's a decision in front of you that you've got to make, and you need to be committing that decision to prayer. One of the things I regularly encourage parents to do is to parent through prayer. I've really been challenged in that. We cannot change the human heart. So parents, it's probably not news to you as you try to wrestle with a two-year-old and reason with them. There's no point. There's really no point. Amen. <laughs> but we can't. We cannot change the human heart, but we know the one who can. You need to be praying for your kids. Uh, every night we pray over our kids, and I'll pray different things over each kid depending on where I see they're at and where I believe God would have them be. Um, as much as I want to be able to shape the way that my kids are raised, and of course we do play a part in that, I know in the end I can't change their heart, but I know Jesus can. You've got to parent through prayer. You know, as you're making important decisions in your life, the house you're going to buy, the job you're going to work, the, the place you're going to live, all of those things are that, things that you should be putting before the Lord in prayer. One of the ways, especially as it relates to where you live, this, this uh, I learned as we were in Sudan, there's an Arabic phrase that when translated actually says neighbor before the house. That's what the translation is, neighbor before the house. As we were looking to where we were going to live in, in Africa, that was what was before us, that you don't select the home based on the home, you select it based upon the neighbors. And when you think about that in the gospel sense, when you're deciding where you're going to live, shouldn't you be praying God? 
And whose lives would you have me influence? And what neighborhood do you want me to influence for your kingdom purposes? I can tell you that was what we prayed. Now, we love the house that we're in, but it really wasn't about the house. It was much more of, God, what neighborhood do you want us in to affect the lives of individuals? You have important decisions that you're making. Are you committing them to prayer? It's important to abide throughout your day in prayer. It's important to pray scripture over your life. If, if you don't have one of the uh, Connection Point prayer guides, I want you praying scripture over your life. If you want to know how to pray the will of God, pray scripture over your life. You're sure to be praying the will of God over your life. So if you don't have a prayer guide, take it home. Use that for prayer. Start praying every day this week in prayer. Start every day in prayer. I challenge you to do that. Take a prayer guide home. Start praying through scripture. You don't have to pray the whole thing, but select one scripture and pray through it. And if there's a decision to be made, spend time in prayer asking God to make clear the right thing to do. Ordinary people can accomplish the extraordinary as they follow Jesus in prayer. And ordinary people can accomplish the extraordinary as they follow Jesus and move from convert to fully devoted disciple maker. So you move from ordinary to extraordinary as you move from convert to fully devoted disciple maker. You know, the process of choosing and calling the disciples, it actually happened in three distinct stages. There's, there's one more if you want to look at Acts. But what we find in John chapter 1, so the way that you identify this is you have to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look that there's things that are happening between those books. You know, not everybody records everything. But as you look at John chapter 1, what you find is Jesus, shortly after his time in the, in the before he goes into the wilderness, he's walking down to where John the Baptist is baptizing people, and John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God. And there's a couple of guys there, Andrew and John, who have already disciples of John the Baptist. And at that point, when Jesus leaves from his baptism, he's being followed by these guys. He asks them, what is it that you seek? And they said, could we stay with you tonight? So what we find is there's actually a phase one where there's an initial conversion to following Jesus. That's phase one, where they start following him. But what you also find in that passage is, is they don't then turn away from everything else. They don't follow him full time. All of these guys continue with their jobs, they continue working, they continue with their day-to-day lives, but now they're saying, we're going to connect or link ourselves to you, we're going to be your disciples, but it's not a full-time endeavor. But then phase two of their calling, we, we saw that in Luke chapter 5, so last chapter, is where Jesus says, Peter, take me out in your boat so I can teach people, and then Peter, he casts the net on the other side, he listens to the carpenter on how to fish, you know, you never know where you're going to get clues from, but he catches this amazing catch of fish. And as he does it, then Peter says, you know, depart from me. I'm, you're too holy for me to be in your presence. And as Jesus gets back to the shore, he invites uh, Peter, James, and John. He says, follow me. I'll make you catchers of men. And in that passage, it says they left everything. And at that point, they choose to follow him wholeheartedly. There's this call to conversion, phase one. There's this call to ministry, phase two, where they're following him wholeheartedly. As we were spending our time in worship and in singing songs, um, one of our church leaders, he came up and shared. He said, you know, I know that there's people in this room. I just get a sense that there are individuals who are not, they, they know what God wants of their lives, but they just can't seem to chase after it. And so the challenge this morning is don't stay as someone who's just satisfied with Sunday morning church attendance and trying to pursue a good moral life. There's more to following Jesus than that. You need to transition from just following him to devoting your life to him, to make him your all. We talked about that as, how do we follow Jesus? We make Jesus our all. And that's what he wants to do, and that's what these disciples do. So phase one is, they, they initially follow him. Phase two, they're doing it full time. And then we look at our passage this morning in Luke chapter six, and now they're going to follow him on a whole new level. So phase three, the third phase, 
is a call to apostleship. Jesus spends a night in prayer and then he selects and appoints the 12 men that he's going to appoint as his apostles. So a question you could ask is, what is an apostle? It's simply a representative of Jesus to the world. Apostles go and they plant the church where it doesn't exist. They serve under the authority of Christ to see the church established where his name is not glorified. That's what apostles do. Now, these 12 apostles, they have a special calling and a special place in history as they are the ones that take the gospel after Jesus ascends unto heaven and they see it spread all throughout the world. But now there are those who continue to fulfill apostolic functions today. So there are those that work apostolically. They go into parts of the world where the church doesn't exist and they see it planted. So they still operate in that same sense, but not like these 12 guys do. But the disciples, they move through the process of converts to fully devoted disciple makers. So although you may not have an apostolic calling, you are called to move from convert to fully devoted disciple maker. We all are meant to go through that process. New Testament says from glory to glory that Christ wants to finish the work that he began in you. And we're not going to be done until we get to eternity. And although there's some clear moral and spiritual qualifications to be met, there are no intrinsically qualified people. Hear me on that today. God himself must save people, clean them up. I'll tell you right now, I'm not in the business. I'm not in the cleaning business. I can't clean people up. Only God can. There's no way that we can do it. And then they transforms them from unqualified into instruments that he can use. That's the work of God. The 12 were like the rest of us. They were selected from a group of unworthy and unqualified people. Those were the people who were following Jesus. They did not rise to the highest usefulness because they were somehow different from us. That's not the case. Their transformation was solely the work of God. And praise God for that. Many followers of Jesus, they become discouraged with their spiritual life because of the way they're following Jesus, they're like, well, I still have things in my life that, that aren't devoted to him. And Jesus says, but I can take care of that. Follow me, and I'll clean you up. People tend to think that they're worthless nobodies. And left to ourselves, let me say, that would be true. But worthless nobodies are just the kind of people that God uses. Worthless nobodies are just the kind of people that God uses. That's who he chooses. The enemy may attempt to convince you that your shortcomings render you useless to God and his church. That's the enemy's voice speaking into your life. But Jesus' choice of the apostles testifies to the fact that God can use the unworthy and the unqualified. He can use nobodies. God chooses the humble, the lowly, the meek, and the weak so that there's never any question about the source of power when their lives change the world. You know, apart from one person. One extraordinary human being who was the son of God, Jesus. The history of God's work on earth is the story of his using the unworthy and molding them for his use. I want to say that again. The history of God's work on earth is the story of his using the unworthy and molding them for his use. That's the plan of God. And it's perfectly consistent with the way that he works. Here's what we find later. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says... Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Boy, does that give me confidence. The folly of what we preach, he will use to lead people to believe. 
He can use what you share and lead people to believe. When we look at the list of men Jesus chose, there are no philosophers, no brilliant writers, no famous debaters, no eminent teachers, and no men who ever distinguished themselves as great orators among them. They became great spiritual leaders and great communicators under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God uses. God's favorite instruments are nobodies so that, that no man can boast before God. He chooses the weak so that no one will attribute the power to human invention rather than to God who empowers the weak. The disciples may have struggled with pride and arrogance like every fallen human being, but the driving passion of their lives was the glory of God. And it was that passion, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not any innate skill or human talent that explains why they left such an indelible impact on the world. Here's what Mark 3.14 says. Same passage, just in a different gospel. It says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. I like that verse. They might be with him and send them out to preach. There's a twofold process here of following Jesus. He first calls you close unto himself. So when he sends you out, you can represent him the way that you're meant to. You know, before they could be sent out to preach, they had to be pulled in. Before uh, the disciples could be effective at all, they needed to know the qualities of who Jesus was. And it won't be until Luke chapter 9. So we're in Luke chapter 6, and Jesus calls the disciples. Not until Luke chapter 9 does Jesus actually send them out. He works with them for some months before he says, okay, now we're going to try this out. Go out with my authority, and we'll see how that goes. He draws you close before he sends you out. You know, with the calling of the twelve, his teaching ministry becomes more intimate. He focuses primarily on them. We're going to see that. So up to this point, Luke chapter 6, he's teaching the crowds. And now there's a transition that occurs. Now we're going to start Jesus pouring into the lives of these disciples. There's a natural progression in their training program. At first, they simply follow Jesus. So this is what we find in John chapter 1. They're following him, learning along with the multitudes about what it means to follow Jesus. You know, they apparently don't do this full time, but as opportunity alives, oh, they begin to then follow Jesus, and now they give up everything to follow him. So they, they do it part-time, then they do it full-time, and now they're called to be apostles. There are stages you walk through in following Jesus. Um, here's what we have. Next slide is, is the mission of the church. To become a believer, what we're looking for is people to move through this mature followership. That you may come to a place of believing. That could happen on a Sunday morning. That could happen in your home. That could happen any place. But we don't want, to stay, want you to stay there. We don't want you simply to be a convert. We want you to move toward mature discipleship. Discipleship really happens life on life. We may choose Jesus alone, but we grow in Christ together. That's simply the way that God has designed it. And the goal is here is that you become a world changer. And we've labeled five things in the way that we look at that. Next slide there is abide daily. Live the word, which is loving God and loving people. You share the story of Jesus, you give generously, and you serve others. So the question, it's a self-evaluation piece. Have I simply made a decision to follow Jesus, but have I stopped there? Jesus wants you to move from ordinary to extraordinary by moving from being a convert of Christ to becoming a fully mature disciple maker. I want you to look at your Connect Group catalog here for a moment. In the back pages... One of the things that we've been working toward, understanding that true discipleship happens life on life, it happens face to face, is we wanted to start aligning our connect groups to follow after one of those five principles. 
for the purpose of you being able to self-evaluate and say, you know what, if I want to move toward that mature disciple, then I need to grow in the area of abiding daily. For me to mature in my discipleship, I need to move to the, I need to grow in my area of giving generously. So what you'll notice is we have grouped the connect groups according to those core values because we want to help lead you to the place of mature discipleship. Does this make sense? So we want to better organize the way that we help lead you from the place of believing in Jesus to becoming a fully mature disciple maker. So I encourage you, as you sign up for a connect group, evaluate yourself. Where do you need to grow? Where do you need to develop to become a fully mature disciple maker? And sign up for that connect group that might be in that category. Ordinary people can accomplish the extraordinary as they follow Jesus and move from convert to fully devoted disciple maker. And the last point this morning is this. Ordinary people can accomplish the extraordinary as they follow Jesus and live a naturally supernatural life. You move from ordinary to extraordinary by living a naturally supernatural life. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the group Jesus selects is you need to think about who he did not select. When he chose the 12 disciples, he didn't choose a single rabbi, not one. He didn't choose a scribe. He didn't choose a priest. Not one of the disciples he chose came from the religious establishment of the day. Instead, he chose fishermen, a tax collector, and other common people. He selected 12 simple, ordinary, working-class individuals. Jesus selected the 12 disciples not for any extraordinary ability or spiritual superior, superior... How do you say that word? Superiority. I still feel like I'm not saying that right superiority. Am I saying that right? Wow, that's a tongue twister. I won't write that one in my notes again. (laughs) It seems he deliberately, Jesus deliberately chose people who were extraordinary for nothing except in their ordinariness. They weren't extraordinary at all, except that they were just ordinary people. He chooses ordinary working class people to accomplish his mission in the earth. So in case you're not catching on, he chooses you. He chooses everyone in this room to accomplish the extraordinary. He wants to use ordinary people. And why is that? Why? Because then when God does extraordinary things through your life, you can't say that's because of me. It's only because of God in me. That's why he does it. You know, these guys, they had a lot of issues. And I bet you're going to identify with these. They lack spiritual understanding. As we move through Luke, we'll find the disciples are at various times Here's, I'm going to translate to English, but in Greek, it would call them thick-headed, dull, stupid, which my kids would say, we don't say stupid. But in the Bible, it's there. And blind. This is how they're known. As we look through Luke and we look at the disciples, that's how they're labeled. We'll discover these terms as we go through. They lacked humility. They were self-absorbed, self-centered, self-promoting, and proud people. They argued about who would be the greatest among them. So, it wasn't enough that I was selected as the 12. No, I want to be number one. That's who these guys are. They lacked faith. Jesus, on many occasions, he says to them, Oh, you of little faith. These guys were faithless. Even after he rises from the dead. This is, this is the biggest one for me. How do you watch somebody raise from the dead and you still get asked the question, Oh, you of little faith. And Jesus still trusted them. That's extraordinary. The disciples, they lack commitment. They were happy when Jesus was popular, but as soon as there starts to grow opposition against him, Jesus starts saying crazy things like, you know, eat me, 
You'll, we'll see that. We'll get to that passage. That doesn't make sense right now, I know. But he says crazy things, and people walk away. They don't want to follow him anymore. And they start asking him, Jesus, why do you have to say stuff like that? I like it when you're popular with the people. And as soon as he's arrested, everyone runs. These guys lacked commitment. They lacked power. On their own, they were weak. They really were. The disciples lacked understanding, humility, faith, commitment, and power. These are the guys that he chooses. But how, how many of us could identify with those same things? Do you feel like sometimes I don't have the understanding I should? I don't live in the power that I should. I don't have the faith that I should. I don't have the commitment that I feel like I should have. But that's okay. It's exactly the kind of qualities that Jesus uses. Because then you can't attribute it to yourself. There's only one reason those things become successful. And it's because of Christ in us. Jesus promises his disciples, here's what we find in Acts chapter 8. So the question then you could ask is, how does he take that group of people and move them from ordinary to extraordinary? And here's how he does it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He empowers you for his purposes. There is nothing you can do on your own. You might have talents and abilities, but honestly, Christ isn't concerned with that. What he's most concerned is your surrender, your willingness to be used, to be empowered in his name. Jesus promises power, and what happens in Acts chapter 2? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. He said, you will receive power. They waited, they prayed, they received that power, and as you continue through the rest of the book of Acts, you find the believers described as people who turn the world upside down. They change everything. We're at a place now where over 2 billion people claim to follow Christ. And that all started with 12 people who said, we're ordinary people, but Jesus, we trust that you can make us extraordinary to do the things that you've called us to do. That's his plan for you. You know, if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, so maybe this is new to you as far as what that looks like today. Uh, if you weren't here in the spring, we did a connect group called Naturally Supernatural. Uh, it's all online for you, so if you want to go back to those teachings, there's this, the information, the URL where you can find that. You just go to our website and enter a backslash NS, NS for Naturally Supernatural. Um, you can walk through those teachings on your own. If you've got questions, you can, you can ask that question on your connect card. But I encourage you, don't stay ordinary. Move to the extraordinary. Don't stay as a believer. Become a fully mature follower of Christ. And as you do that, you will experience the extraordinary in the life that you live. There's a reason for the job that you have. There's a reason for the home that you live in, the neighbors you interact with. And Jesus wants to use you where you're at to affect the destiny of the lives around you. And I want you to do that. Ordinary people accomplish the extraordinary as they follow Jesus. If you remember nothing else today, remember that. You know, ordinary people like you and me, they became the instruments by which the story of Jesus was carried to the ends of the earth. And that's God's desire for us today. But as we look at the list of disciples Jesus chose, I want to close with you thinking about this one. One that stands out that you can't miss is Judas Iscariot. In fact, it was the last one on the list. And what was the descriptor? A traitor. If you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, what you'll find as we get 
to the tail end of Luke, Jesus, Judas betrays Jesus. He betrays him. And what's scary about Judas is it shows us that you can be close to Jesus and yet still remain a superficial relationship with him. That's just scary this morning. You can be close to Jesus and still have a superficial relationship with him to where if given the opportunity, you would turn your back on Christ. Judas never moved from ordinary to extraordinary. The other 11 did. They took that transition. And so where do you find yourself this morning? Have you been following Jesus superficially? Have you not been moving from ordinary to extraordinary, from convert to fully devoted disciple maker? Do you not commit all things to prayer? You need to make Jesus your all. And you can do that, and it would change your life today. Absolutely. But you have to, at some point, cross that threshold of making that decision for Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as you're standing, I would like to ask two different invitations today. The first is this. Maybe you've never made that transition from ordinary to extraordinary because you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. But maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm tired of the ordinary life that I've been living and I want to change that. I want to follow Jesus. And if you're here, you can make that decision today. How could your life look different and instead of just going through the motions, simply paying the bills and working a job, you could actually have purpose and meaning to your life by following Christ. So with every head bowed here today, every head bowed here this morning, I just want to ask you, is that you today? You'd say, I want to move from ordinary to extraordinary by making a decision to make Jesus my all. If that's you, if you simply raise your hand, I want to pray with you before we go today. Don't want anybody to leave this place without an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Over here on the left, anybody else? Anybody else would say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make him my all. I want to move from ordinary to extraordinary. Over here in the middle, anybody else? I'd say, I want to follow you today, Lord. I don't want to live on my own. I want to be the new creation in Christ that you've called me to be. Let me pray before we go. Jesus, I just pray for those that raise their hands here this morning. I pray that you give them a spirit of boldness and power to live firmly in your name. God, I just pray that they would truly make you their all. May they move from ordinary to extraordinary by following you, God. May they hold nothing back but choose you, King Jesus. If you made that decision to follow Jesus this morning, Pastor Mark, would you mind to step forward here? Pastor Mark's our youth pastor. He, he opened the service with a welcoming today. We'd love for you just to step out simply for us to give you a Bible and information on where you go from here. Not to embarrass you, but to let you know you're in a room of people that celebrate that decision that you've made today. So if that was you today, if you wouldn't mind to come down to meet with Pastor Mark, he wants to get you a Bible and match you up with somebody to help you follow Jesus for a lifetime. Could we just cheer them and applaud them today for that decision they've made? Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but if you want to make that decision today, feel free to come. Second invitation I want to ask today. You know, I open with the fact that sometimes we're Simon and sometimes we're Peter. Sometimes we're living in the ordinary when we're called to live in the extraordinary. So maybe you're here and you'd say, you know what, I've been walking the ordinary for a long time. But I really want to make a commitment to Jesus today to say, I'm going to follow you in the extraordinary. So one more time with every head bowed here today, if you don't mind to bow your heads and, and if that's you and you'd say you know what I, I don't want to live in the ordinary anymore I have a relationship with Jesus but I need to live and make him my all if that's you today if you want to raise your hand I just want to pray with you that God would give you strength to live in that way today 
Anybody say, that's me. I, I want to make that transition. Over here on the right, anybody else? I just want to pray with you before we go. You say, I know I'm following Christ, but I've been living in the ordinary and I just don't want to be there anymore. Well, let me just pray before we get into song. Jesus, I just pray for each and every one in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to live the life that you've called them to live, a life of purpose and meaning and hope. God, I pray that you would help them to make decisions that are, that are prayerful, committing all things to prayer, King Jesus. I just pray, Lord, that you would change hearts today. Lord, if, if there are those in this room that have been following you for a lifetime, but have said, I've never made that transition from convert to fully devoted disciple maker, I pray that you'd help them do it today. Help them live for you wholeheartedly. May they abide in you. May they live the word and share your story. May they be committed to giving generously and serving others. And as they do that, Lord, we know that they'll change the world. So God, I pray that you'd help us to live as fully devoted disciple makers in your name. And Lord, I do pray that you would lead us into the extraordinary. For that's your promise. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.